In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I break down the Sixers acquisition of DeAnthony Melton, what he adds to the team, what role he can fill, and how that impacts the moves the Sixers make for the rest of the offseason. Enjoy the podcast. We could get a perimeter defender, um, maybe for draft pick. We'd feel very good about that. Um, you know, I think uh, someone like that is something that could really contribute and be a uh, you know two way player. Uh, someone like that would be a really nice addition. That was Sixers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey talking about the acquisition of DeAnthony Melton, except he wasn't allowed to talk about the acquisition of DeAnthony Melton because even though we stuck around until, what, probably about 1.30 a.m. in the morning at that point, the trade wasn't official, and the league doesn't allow you to comment on trades that have not yet been made official. But Rich and I get a chance to talk about the DeAnthony the, the Melton trade. We are not under any such obligations or, or league rules. So we will talk, uh, spend this podcast talking about the Sixers trade where they acquired 24-year-old guard DeAnthony Melton for Danny Green and the 23rd overall pick. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm good. You know what Daryl Morey called that? He called that a Giambi press conference. <laughs> yes. Did you get that reference? It took me a Google search. I did not get that in real time, no. But I, I do remember it when he gave a a very awkward, this is Jason Giambi, by the way, not, very, the one, not the one that Philly gets because we always get the wrong brother. We get the worst one. Who did Jeremy. he take? Star, did he take steroids too? I don't know. But that's what this press conference was about with Jason Giambi, where he basically said after a report leaked that his uh, federal grand jury testimony that yeah he had taken steroids. He said he was sorry to everybody. He said he was uh, he had let everybody down. But he would not say why he, he did yeah. it. Yep. So I think I think that was a very old uh, old reference, which is uh, which is funny. By the way, r- real quick, when I think of Jason Giambi, Moneyball, great movie. Uh, I've, I haven't read the book in a long time. Th- they do kind of gloss over the fact that they had like Barry Zito on the team and Mark Mulder and those <laughs> yeah. guys, like like yeah, Scott Hatterberg and all those guys. They're, they're pretty David Justice, good signings. Billy Beans. Great general manager for a long time. They, they, they had some pretty good players on the team. That, that they was did. They did. that's my one issue with it. So, uh, yeah, DeAnthony Melton. Where, where I guess there's not that many different ways to start off. Um, overall, uh, what are your overall impressions? Was it the right move to make? What were you thinking as the draft was breaking down? Is this the direction they should have gone? I think for the most part. I view this move as a positive. Um, so does it remind you at all of the 2020 draft a little bit where the guy who Melton was traded for, they got Danny Green for Al Horford and also the Seth Curry trade where it feels like they really went after fit with their yeah. role player. Yeah. And and I think the similarity to Curry for me is that DeAnthony Melton is on a good contract, I yep. would say. $8 million for the next two years. Next year is not even guaranteed. It might as well be because he's not getting waived. Like you said, that yeah. is a team-friendly contract. I think $1.5 million of that is guaranteed. The only way that comes into factor is if he has like a catastrophic career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. 
So look, they'll have protection on that. But, you know, he's the and he's also a, a mid-level contract, which we say they don't yep. have a lot of. They, by the way, they still don't have a lot of them because they got rid no. of Danny Green, yep. who was their other mid-level contract. So one for one trade in uh, in that regard. But, you know, I, I think in general, he's the type of skill set that you look to put around James yep. Harden and Tyrese Maxey yep. and, and Joel Embiid, where what the one let's go to his weakness right away. Like, what what is he not good at? He's not his ball skills Can't are dribble. not amazing. Yeah, yeah, not a good his passer. Ball skills, they're yep. not great. Not By the a way, good pull he, up shooter. He can't dribble. I mean, yeah. like, look, this is a this that's, is a like for like trade. <laughs> I think he can dribble a little bit better than Danny can. Yeah, but, I, I agree. Mean, I agree. That is the lowest of low bar. Also, a little better than Matisse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I guess before we get any further, uh, shout out to Danny Green. Yeah, contract guaranteed. Yep. And that look, is yeah. somebody we like. Doesn't impact the Sixers in any way that is on the the Grizzlies cap sheet. But for a guy who had his season and at his age, you always worry it could be a career ender with the ACL and the LCL tear. Probably won't be back until the All-Star break or at the earliest. To have that happen months before his non-guaranteed contract uh, kicked in. To have that guaranteed, for sure. Nice to see. That that was really cool. That was honestly one of the first things I thought. I was like, man, that's awesome for Danny. Because guess what? He would have gotten that contract guaranteed if they didn't play a game six. In, yeah. uh, because he was, he he was worth that. Back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So good good to see for him. Good. Uh, I, I saw Harrison Sanford tweeting about it. He was he was pretty happy. I think he said shout out to Daryl Morey, uh, which is <laughs> which is good. Uh, okay. So so back to Melton. Yeah. What can he not do? Can't dribble. Not a great pull-up shooter. Look, not a great the Sixers passer. have to have a couple of players who can't dribble. It's it's in the bylaws of the NBA. It's absolutely. Would it be great if they had five players in a lineup who could all dribble at the same time? I don't think that's hurting anything. And look, to be honest, like we're comparing him to Danny Green and Matisse Leibel. I think he's a better ball handler than that. If he is your only bad ball handler, you can pro- you can survive. It's not as debilitating as the other two. But what can he generally do? He can really defend from the guard position. The uh, you know I, I remember him being a pesky on ball defender, but man, I mean, when you look at that cleaning the glass page, his uh, yeah, his steal and block rates are yep. absurd, and they've been absurd. That's not a a three point shooting was fluky in one year. No, they're good every year. Yep. He is yep. somebody who can wreak havoc in the passing lanes, and I, I believe- think he can defend on ball pretty well too. A pesky on ball defender, I think he does a pretty good job getting through screens. He's a pretty well rounded defender. The only knock against him defensively is, you know, he's 6'3", but he has a pretty good, um, you know, what is it, like a 6'8", 6'8 and a half wingspan, where yep. he can defend a little taller than his listed height, probably defends more like a 6'4", 6'5 guy, so he has a little bit of versatility, but key, enough height where you can put him next to Tyrese Maxey in the backcourt, put him next to James Harden. I think he fits next to both of them pretty well. And what else can he do? He can make shots. He, uh, Which was not a given when he came in the league. Terrible shooter at, at USC. Terrible shooter his first two years in the, the league. He came out last two years, has made, I think, just under 39% from three. Right around 50%, like 48, 49% from the corners. Pretty good catch and shoot numbers the last two years. Re- really good. Over 1.187 each of the last two years. Both of those are, are excellent marks. Can't really shoot off the dribble, but that's fine because you're asking him to be a role player. You're not asking him to create off the bounce. You're not asking him to create out of pick and rolls. You're asking him to stand in the corner, make shots, maybe attack the closeout if it's there and he's feeling a little bit adventurous. Not too adventurous because that can be one of his problems. But attack the closeout if it's there and defend 
on the other end. Uh, and hopefully that's all he has to do. I think he can fill that role. And I think it's a good acquisition. When we, when, if you go back to the last pod release earlier in this week, when we were looking at potential fits, that's what we were looking for. And again, we went back and said, you need someone that was tall enough to play alongside of Tyrese Maxey, but who can play off the ball, who can shoot, and who can defend. And you got it. You got it while keeping, you know, he's still young, only 24 years old, still cost-controlled with two years and $16 million left. Not as, not as cost-controlled as a, you know, first-round pick, obviously, but you're getting a guy who's ready to step in right now. I think, it, and especially when you started looking, you know, after we finished the um, podcast last time, I really sat down and, like, put my big board together. And it seemed like my entire big board went off the board between, like, picks, like, 15 and 22. It and I'm looking at like, it. It kept being, like, Tari Eason and, uh, and Jalen Williams, where it's just like, yeah, those guys are going to be gone. Yeah. No, if, like, someone like that fell, like, what I feel differently about the trade, maybe. Even still, like, I think, I think Melton is a player who could step in right now, so I think that would have had value. But when I started looking at the prospects left, like, outside of EJ Liddell, who... Fell of what forty one, yeah. And quite frankly, like I don't think he's more of a four or five, and I don't think that was your big. That was probably your least need anyway. There really wasn't any ready made contributor left, or anybody with any real upside that I had a lot of confidence in. Um, so I think with the way the draft was breaking, with Williams and Easton, um, with even Laravia and Bronham going before them, and Terry, like there was just a lot of the guys that I was interested in were off the board for them to get. I mean, how many real rotation players were traded last night? Was Anthony Melton the only one? I think he was the most impactful, maybe next year yeah. player that got traded the whole the whole draft. Which is, it's a little crazy because there were a lot of trades, but it was a lot of draft pick type of trades and a lot of you know Kemba Walker's right. being yep. involved and stuff like that. Yep. No, I think it was it was just wild how the Sixers had that trade right away and. For once, they weren't the team with the complicated trade. It was just yeah. very straightforward. Yep. It was yep. just Danny Green and that pick for DeAnthony Melton. We would rather have the more ready-made guy. Memphis, for whatever deficiency reasons, I know we struggled in the playoffs over the last year, said we'd rather have the pick. We'd rather take a swing on a bigger wing. And uh, they they picked David Roddy. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I think he's the most impactful guy. Yeah, and look, there are going to be times throughout the, the year that we're just going to, like, I'm going to punch my desk and be like, what are you fucking doing when you dribble the ball? Or what kind of a pass was that? Or maybe he'll go through a cold spell where he can't shoot. Because when he can't shoot, like his offensive value drops precipitously. Like it can get frustrating, I think, his offensive game. You've seen that in playoff two years, and we'll probably get to that in a little bit. But when you're looking at the expectations for the 23rd pick, I think this was a pretty good outcome. And I think perhaps, Key, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, you know, one thing with the draft, we always said this was a, they only have one draft pick they can really trade until 2029. And the moment you select a player, that pick loses value pretty quickly. This is a guy who I think is going to have value, tr real trade value at the deadline next summer. Like, even if it doesn't work out, or even if you want to make a bigger move, you have more value now in a trade than you had coming into yesterday, uh, which I think is maybe not the primary focus, but I think something, you know, we talked about this a couple podcasts back where he said, I think Daryl Morey's goal this summer has to be to improve their depth. But I also think they need to retain flexibility and make moves that will end up being more valuable when they go to trade them the next time so that Daryl Morey can keep his eyes focused on acquiring a star level talent because he's always going to do that. I think, I think the Anthony Melton will be worth more in six months than the 23rd pick and Danny green. And I think with that contract, you're now a little more flexible. 
Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel pretty good about these trades that Mori has made, in part because he made those Curry and Green trades a couple years ago, and those worked out well. Like the Sixers were a better basketball team because of those those trades. They were uh, they set them up for success over the next two years. Their star players, unfortunately, did not hold up their end of the bargain to uh, to support those trades. Were you uh, were you surprised at all? It just felt like good value, honestly. It just yeah. felt like. When that trade first came down, my first thought was, and and I, look, I do not think DeAnthony Melton is um, a future all-star or no. anything like that, but especially when you look at his contract being so easy to, I mean, it's that's a good deal. That's a positive value contract. It just felt like that's all it takes, Danny and the 23rd pick. And I mean, thank, thank God Memphis really, really wanted... David Roddy, I guess, but I, I'm a little surprised that they couldn't get more for him, even if I think DeAnthony Melton is a player. DeAnthony Melton on this Sixers team can make a much bigger impact than he could on that Memphis team because he got squeezed. There's a lot of guards, yep. a lot of athleticism on that team. Um, but but still, I, I was still wondering, like, that's it? That's all it took? Yeah, no, I, he wasn't necessarily on my radar. Um, it was a little surprising that it was that cheap. Uh, I think they did a good job. Um, because we always worry, like, how much value do these draft picks actually have? Like, some year they just don't have value. A lot of people were talking about next year's draft being better and people waiting out for that one. Uh, we alluded to this a couple podcasts ago. We were talking about it a little bit with Kyle Newbeck there uh, last night at the training complex. It feels like every year next year's draft class is listed as great and talked about as great. But I do think that sentiment was out there. And then it happens and it sucks. Yep. But I do think that sentiment was out there. You didn't know how much value these picks in the twenties would have this year. Uh, I think they got good value for it for sure. And again, that doesn't mean that um, the Anthony Melton is a perfect player or that he won't frustrate you. He's not. And he probably will, but for what they had to work with, I think they did. Okay. Better than okay. I think they did good. Look, we talked about, they had four and a half players that you are, are comfortable playing yeah. in, a, in a playoff series. And even though DeAnthony Melton has struggled in the playoffs, he I'm has. still going to say, look, that's a 15-game sample size. I, I like what he brings to the table for the most part. And considering the Sixers, I mean, they're just lack of resources. I Look, I, I feel pretty confident saying they're up to five and a half. And that's, look, they, they still need to keep going. They still need to, to do well. Uh, I, I guess we can pivot a little bit now to the one downside to this trade, in my opinion. And that is, positionally, there's a little bit of overlap here. And by trading Danny Green, who you could play with Maxi Embiid and Harden, you could, you could realistically slot him in at the three. I'm not sure you could do that with Melton. Melton, I think at his best, is a great fit with both Maxi and Harden separate. Not both of them, yep. I agree. Now look, I agree. Look, it's the modern NBA. We just saw the Warriors and Jordan Poole makes a bunch. Of, if if there is a game where DeAnthony Melton is popping threes, and you know maybe the other team has a like a, a non-threatening four man who Harden can guard a little bit easier, is there a chance that all three of them can play together? Yeah, and and I bet you there are some situations where you can see that. Like you said, Melton has very long arms as well. He can guard up a little bit because of that. But primarily I see the guy who when one of Maxi and Harden are on the floor, Melton is with both of them. And and he is the guy taking the other team's best point guard. He is the guy who has to get over the screen when Joel Embiid is in drop coverage. He is um 
Yeah, he he is the guy who's going to take that, and then he he, he takes uh, he takes off on the other end. He'll run in transition, and then he could stand in the corner and make threes. Like you said, his uh, his shooting numbers from there are pretty good. So that's a little bit of a downside in that you are paying eight million dollars, which is a, a fine salary slot for a third guard. Like I don't think that's bad, but because the Sixers are so unbelievably thin on the wing right now, yeah. And let's let's say what they have right now: they have Matisse Thybul, they have Tobias Harris. I mean, Matisse Thybul. We don't even know if he can play. I mean, he can play in the regular season, but again, bring brings his problems. Tobias Harris, that's fine. Like he'll help you. And you have George Niang, who is a specialist, kind of, in the background. Look, I, I think moving forward here, and I, I don't want to jump too far into that, but but I think every move the Sixers make has to be to bolster that three four. Yeah, if you're not six seven, they're not interested. Yeah. Um and we even go back to our end of season, like we were talking about. Well, we don't really trust George Niang because of his defense in the playoffs. We don't really trust uh, Matisse Leibel in the playoffs because of his offense. One of the few people we trusted was Shake Milton. Well, you're really, really good. Yeah. Like really good. You, you really only have Not two a great trade for bench Shake. players, maybe a third if you want to count Paul Reed, who you even have a tiny bit of confidence in in the playoffs, and two of them are on the perimeter. Um, there's just not a lot of versatility, of positional versatility on the squad right now. And I, yeah, I, I, and I agree with the way you phrase that. I think he can play alongside one of Tyrese Maxey or James Harden. I'm not sure both outside of spot instances. And that's a, that's a concern. They need another wing or two, ideally. And they don't have a lot of flexibility to get that. And, and you bringing up Shake, I think, is a good point because we, we phrase Shake Milton as okay, you know, this team has limited resources. They have to try to maximize what they have with with what little they have to trade. Shake Milton, to me, could have played this DeAnthony Melton role, and I would have said fine. You know, he could have been the third guard, the guy who plays with uh, with Maxi, with Harden. Now, maybe Shake becomes a little more expendable with another team is uh is interested in him now but yeah there is a little bit of overlap here and that to me is the one big negative is that like man i just wish d'anthony melton was like three inches taller yeah. you know something like that but then again if he was three inches taller he probably wouldn't have been on the move and uh and available so that that's the one downside i see and look we can't judge it i think until uh until we see the end of free agency here with uh you know, you had Daryl Morey afterwards in his Giambi press conference. He did talk about how there are about eight or 12 guys who are uh, available with, I think he described it like the constraints that we're working with, you know, the the CBA. Um, why, why don't you explain that real quick? Why, uh, w- with this move, because we have been talking about this big mid-level exception, why that is probably not going to be available. To yeah, them. well, I, I think what's interesting, because there are two rumors that came out this week. First, P.J. Tucker opting out of his, what, I think, $7.4 million contract for next season. Immediately, the Sixers, both by Keith Pompey and Mark Stein, were linked to him. And immediately, there was a three-year, $30 million framework thrown out there as a possible contract for P.J. Tucker. And then there was also a lot of rumors, again, largely from Keith Pompey, that the Sixers were in talks with the Rockets for Eric Gordon. Well, first of all, right off the top, um, the Melton trade pretty much crosses Gordon off the list. In part because he's another 6'3 guard um, also, with a little what, different skill sets. 
What salary are you matching? Well, that's what I was getting to. In order to acquire, um, take back Gordon's $19.6 million contract, you have to send out somewhere in the $15, $15.5 million range in salary yourself to make that legal under the CBA. You start looking up, without Danny Green's $10 million contract, there's really no way to get to $15.5 million without making it a larger deal that includes Tobias Harris. And there's no reason that the Rockets would want Tobias Harris. Maybe you can make it a three-team, but that would be a much more consequential trade than the versions of a Eric Gordon acquisition we were thinking of before. So I think you can pretty much safely cross him off the list unless talks about Tobias Harris really start picking up steam here over the next couple of weeks. And quite frankly, if they trade Tobias Harris, positionally, you're probably not looking at Eric Gordon anyway. So cross that one off the list. P.J. Tucker, you know, in order to sign P.J. Tucker to a three-year, $30 million contract, you need the bigger of the two mid-level exceptions. That means it would hard cap you at that $155 million apron. Right now, the Sixers are, I believe, right around $151 million in salary cap commitments to 13 players. So they cannot, obviously, then, if you use that, that mid-level, you have to remain under $155 million. They can't do that and remain under $155. There is some things that could happen, um, or a combination of things that could happen or things we don't know about. Maybe James Harden does opt out, even though all the reporting has suggested he will opt in and then extend. If he opts out, takes a lower salary, you could trim a couple million off that way. If, um, you know, you trade Furkan Korkmaz and George Niang in the cap space, you could theoretically, and maybe Matisse Thibel, you could clear a little bit of room. You could theoretically clear enough room where you could offer that mid-level, could offer that three years, $30 million. Um, it's not completely off the table. It is tougher now that you took back salary for Danny Green's non $10 million non-guaranteed. I My gut tells me I don't think Daryl Morey's going to be constrained by the hard cap for P.J. Tucker. Even if you could find someone to take Thibel and Korkmaz off of his hands, which you'd be losing two rotation-ish players. Especially, especially Thibel, a regular season rotation sure. player. That's, that's an important role considering how much you're lacking it and right now is on the roster. Tucker an upgrade? Yes, but I think Daryl Morey's a type. And this is just sort of like a read I get both from his moves in the past and also in conversation. I think he views that restriction as pretty severe, especially yeah. when you're talking about the potential of a, you know, a guy who's again, we, what we say this all the time, but he's always superstar hunting. And when you start talking about trading contracts that large, you need a little bit of space under a hard cap to be able to take back more salary, or at least have flexibility to do so. If the trade demands it, if he can avoid it, and maybe there's a chance where if they don't find a trade for um, Danny Green, if th this Melton thing didn't come to pass, if they, you know, waived him and cleared that space, maybe they would have looked at it and said, okay, well now, since that trade didn't happen, now let's get that extra veteran with that bigger mid-level. Um, but now that I think they got Melton, my gut, and it's just my gut, is that they will use the lower taxpayer mid-level, not become hard cap. And then not really look to move Thibel as aggressively as they otherwise would have. Um, it is, again, it is theoretically possible you could clear enough space to just use the non-taxpayer mid-level. My gut tells me I don't think that's the path Maury's going to take. Yeah, and, and who knows if it's the right move or not, too. It's, you know, I, I think sometimes when we talk about this, it's like, oh, he won't have the, the higher mid-level available to him. Well, that could be the right move, because like you said... If you have, if you do use that higher mid level, you become hard capped and it's very restricting. And you don't even know if that player is going to be as good as somebody you could get for the 
mini mid level. So yeah, that's uh, look. I, so so what do you think about uh about Tucker's fit on this team? I I like it actually. I yeah, think a no, lot of people I like him too. I worry tremendously because you're talking about a three year deal for a guy who's 37. I worry about that final year. You'd love to get sure. some of that non guaranteed. Next year, I think he would certainly help them and, and help them more than Korkmaz or Thibel or Niang. Certainly help them more than any of them individually. I think, and this is why it's not, I don't think, a clear. Like, I, I think they're going to compromise their depth if they are not able to use that, that non taxpayer. And I think right now they're not going to be able to use that. Um, or at least Maury's not going to be comfortable making the moves necessary to use that. But I, I do think it comes at a cost. I do think uh, Tucker would be more helpful than any of the guys we mentioned, for sure. Yeah, I, I like Tucker. And, you know, I think there have been a lot of jokes over the past couple of days about, oh, no, they're going to they're going to reassemble the 2018 Houston yeah. Rockets, yep. which, by the way, w- w- one quick aside on that. I don't think it would be a wise move to reassemble the 2018 Houston Rockets. But like, there's a slight difference. You've got a seven foot two difference in there too. And also, let's not slander. I think that's one of the three or four best basketball teams of the past decade. I mean, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, I actually think they beat the. Or if they they make like one or two threes instead of missing a billion in a row in that game seven, they beat the Golden State Warriors, who are the greatest team I've ever seen in my life. So I. I just think like a little less slander for that team is probably fair. That was that was an awesome basketball team, but like you said, it's it's uh, it's four years later, and PJ Tucker is thirty seven. That contract nope. is scary, but like but look, I um I agree with Joel Embiid is his general sentiment with the with what the kids say. Man, he's got that dog in him. He's a I, look. He is a tough playoff competitor who you can throw on the other teams. Best player. And he might be 37, but he out hustled the entire fucking Sixers team. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some of the things that the Sixers have sucked out of time, like offensive rebounding, little winning plays. I even thought with Miami, he showed he could do not a ton more, but he could he could make some plays when players get doubled. He doesn't need his feet cemented into the ground, which is all he did with Harden, which he probably would do here anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I actually think he would be a good guy to sign. I just... I think it's a it's a good thought by you to say I'm not sure Daryl Morey will take the penalty of yeah. being hard capped to uh to sign him. Now, if there are a couple moves like a Thibel move or or some other salary cap move that is just unforeseen and it it clears enough money where getting Tucker is feasible, I definitely think there would be interest there from the uh yep. from the Sixers and it's it's curious to see with I mean with Tucker opting out, you know, he clearly thinks he can get added years on. I mean, he opted out of seven million dollars. So and, and there has been reporting that the full mid level will be available to him from some team. It's just it's very interesting that that team, for the most part, has been the Sixers as the report. And right yep. now they do not have that. They don't have it. So And what I think uh, I think the taxpayer mid level would be somewhere around like the three years, like twenty one million ish range. Would he take um, the years? Like I don't know, yeah. but it for, and look, for less money. I don't know. Again, it's not that the taxpayer or non-taxpayer mid-level is completely off the board, but I think it's gotten significantly less likely, significantly more difficult, and I think Maury's motivation for it will have dropped because of the acquisition of Milton. It's still technically possible, um, but I think it's more likely they use a taxpayer mid-level. Don't become hard capped unless something with Tobias Harris does come to pass, because again. 
you're sending out $37 million in outgoing salary if you have a trade where you bring back, I don't know exactly what the minimum you can bring back, but it might be something like $30 million range. If you can trim $7 million off, all of a sudden maybe that becomes possible. But as things currently stand, I would be surprised if they uh, make the moves necessary to use that. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yep how about uh how about josh harris's helicopter flying away <laughs> the, the second the melton trade hit yeah you know, that was yeah. that's when you knew it was not going to be the type of draft night that we've had in the past where you know we're, we're worried about all these second round picks colangelo's talking about dust settling all of this crazy stuff where you know they make the melton trade it's a guy we've heard of it's a nice night and harris is just like all right i'm out of here i'm flying to some soccer field somewhere <laughs> in uh <laughs> in north jersey I, it really uh, is like and look i get why he <laughs> if you have helicopter money i guess you probably care about your time a lot it does look like some movie supervillain type shit to be flying and really working does. on a helicopter. It's like Bond villain type shit. Yeah. Uh, it's so, so basically though, I, I do think if it's not PJ Tucker, like you said, I think whatever moves they make, I, like let's say they use the, the mini mid level. I would expect them. If they do use that to use the full thing and get the best three, four they can get at this point. Um, and that would mean Tobias Harris is still here, which again, we, you know, as we talked about in the stay or go pod, it, it's not ideal. It, it would be, it would be more ideal if you could break Tobias into, um, into two separate role players and to fulfill the three and D roles a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, if he and Thibel are, are going to be here, I, I think you need to load up brother on the, on the three fours. And frankly, not only is it the mini mid level, they're going to have to hit on a minimum signing, I think, as well yeah. uh, with with the minimum contracts, which has been done. Like, look, you look at Golden State last year. They signed Otto Porter for the minimum, and that guy helped them through a lot of the playoffs. So it can be done, and hopefully, you know, more touched on this a little bit. When you are offering minimum contracts out and players are they're weighing offers from a bunch of different teams, <laughs> the Sixers, their, their lack of depth here could be an asset where they could say, hey, like, 
we're going to give you a minimum contract, but we're going to give you a real role. Uh, you, you might be able to cash in next season. So that's that's where they stand right now, and that that is the one, I would say, slight negative of the Melton deal, where I, I just see a, a pretty gaping hole on this roster right now at the uh, at the wing position, and you know, that is what it is. It, you know, it, it, can it be solved during the season? Maybe, you know, maybe. And I think it's more of a, more of a playoff issue. Yeah. I think it's more of a playoff issue yeah. right now. So yeah. I, I think they can, they, there are enough good players like, like Niang and Thibel. Like we said, I, I don't view them as, as big playoff contributors, but in a regular season rotation, they're, they're fine to add depth. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I see their biggest hole as right now. Yeah, and we will have, um, you know, free agency starts here next Thursday. They can technically start, uh, technically, because nobody talks beforehand. All those deals just get announced within a minute. It's always easy to uh, negotiate a $100 million contract in the matter of a minute. But technically, they can start talking uh, at, what, I think 6 p.m. next Thursday. Uh, something in that time frame. It might be 5 p.m. I think it's 6 p.m. Uh, it doesn't matter. I think- I think it's six. Good, good job to the NBA by not making me stay up that late. Unlike last night, yeah. eight o'clock start. What are we doing, people? Come on. Yeah, I was. Uh, this old man was definitely tired by the end of it. Um, that, but- was a, that was a two coffee night for me. Which, <laughs> and by the way, two coffees. Like I usually tell you, I'm not. I'm not Mr. Jimmy Butler drinking eighteen cups of coffee a day. Like I'm not you either. You know, how many cups of coffee you drink? Yeah. Where if I usually drink more than you know one coffee a day. I really struggle to go to sleep. Not last night. I was out like a light after that. Mary. No, every, every game night, especially when I'm there at the uh, arena is a two coffee night for me. Uh, I can Oof. fall asleep within seconds of my head hitting the desk. It's been one of my great superpowers. It's not you're a superpower. An, you're an I'm, Avenger as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Sleep man. What's not a superpower is I am a, uh, very much a morning person working a field where, um, all this stuff happens at night. But it is a, a trade-off. Um, but yeah, we will have another podcast to sort of talk about maybe some of the Sixers' potential fits. And then they can officially sign a contract, what I think about a week later after the moratorium. So we have a little bit of time here. Next week, we'll get into a bunch of the free agency talk. But in terms of, I guess, sort of wrapping up this night, or at least the draft, to your point, I think there's very much a imbalance on the roster. But there is an imbalance on the roster coming in. And if that available, yeah. if they're, I they shouldn't have taken a worse player just because they're taller. So I think there is a role for for Melton. Um, I'm gonna have to struggle not to say Milton on the podcast because they're a little mm. bit too close, both in size, in game, and in name. But I think if you shouldn't taken a worse player, uh, figure out how to make this work here in free agency, in trades, maybe even in in season trades. They have a little bit of time, but I agree with you. In the playoffs, there's there's definitely uh, work to be done. It could be worse too. You could be covering a team with two guys named Jalen. Oh my god, I Oof. couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah, or or, so, or a guy named uh, Ochi Abaji, as you proved last <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Now I think that's a, a good way to wrap it up. I, I guess just for a couple minutes here, because I, I don't think we have a, a ton else to offer on this subject, but just needs to be mentioned because it's a pretty important figure on the team. Michael Rubin's going to sell his shares, his uh, his ten percent ownership yep. of the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. He, uh, I think, pretty much everybody listening to this podcast knows who he is. He's a very public, front facing guy who runs Fanatics and has made that a very very wealthy company um, over the years. And the explanation is basically that 
he wants, and you know, Michael Rubin is a pretty ambitious guy that he wants to break into pretty much every facet of sports, including gambling, including licensing deals with individual players. And the explanation was that that will be a conflict of interest for somebody who owns a basketball team. So only a 10% stake, but I would say he, he probably only a 10% stake, but I think that was the third largest stake in the team. Yeah. Yeah. Behind Blitzer and Harris. Harris and yep. for somebody who had a 10% stake, he was very involved and very public facing. So it's, uh, you know, it seems like he's still going to be around the arena, but he's just not officially going to be a part of the team. thought it was interesting. I think it was in, your own Weitzman yep. story. This was a very interesting paragraph, in my opinion, on uh, on Fox Sports. To that point, according to multiple sources, the league office recently told Harris that Ruben, freed from the constraints of the league's collective bargaining agreement and anti-tampering laws, will be able to help the Sixers more than ever. That is uh, funny. I don't know. Hey, it's like If the Raptors can have Drake, I guess Sixers can have Michael Ruben. Worldwide, Ruben. Yeah, yep. he. Uh, so it, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, and look, he is like you said. He's very involved. He's very present. You see him at, I would say, most games, uh, sitting there courtside with somebody famous almost every time. <laughs> it's either it's a rapper or Guy Fieri or a politician. Meek is his best friend. So yeah, or a Boston know. sports owner. You know. Oh yeah, Bob Kraft. Yeah. But yeah, no, definitely. We'll see how it shakes out and how how around the team he is. But definitely, a, uh, I mean, it's a, like I said, he was the third largest shareholder who was very present and very involved. So definitely an impact. All right. I think that's probably just about all that I have. We will have another podcast here early next week, certainly before free agency starts. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man.